Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we give thanks to you today that Jesus paid it all. Father, that we are not owed anything but that your Son, out of sheer grace, gave his life so that we could be called your children. Father, when we sing that your Son, that Christ paid it all, It is a reminder to us, Lord, that we cannot pay the debt we owe. Father, every single one of us is ruined in our sins, dead in our trespasses and sins, and we have nothing to offer you. And yet, Father, your Son dies for those who hate Him. He pays the price of our salvation, the debt that we owed fully. He paid it all, taking away the handwriting of ordinances, the the list of offenses that was against us, nailing it to the cross so that we can now come boldly before Your throne, that we can be accepted in Christ, that we are now Your beloved children. So, Father, Lord, we give thanks to you today that Christ paid it all, that not one bit of the penalty of sin is paid by us, but that it falls on Jesus completely. And that we who are your children, we who have turned to Christ in faith, who have repented of our sins, are now viewed by you just as righteous as Christ. So, Lord, we give thanks. And, Father, today, as we look to your word, as we consider the significance of what we are going to do, as we observe um, the, the first ordinance given to your church today, and we look at its meaning, Father, may we recognize, Lord, that this action does not save, but it is Christ alone who saves. Father, work in our hearts here today. Encourage your saints. Lord, if there are those here today who do not know you, may today be the day of salvation. We pray this all in Christ's precious name, pleading his blood. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And this morning we're going to be looking at the significance of baptism. Uh, We have three individuals coming this morning for baptism, and uh, I thought it was appropriate for us to take some time and to look at just what are we doing here uh, today. Uh, this isn't a pool party. Um, e- even, even though the, uh, the baptistry is very warm, this is not spa time or hot tub time or anything like that. Um, this is an opportunity for us to observe what Jesus commands His disciples to do in the Great Commission. We recognize that Christ gives His disciples at the end of His ministry. He gives them a challenge. He gives them a commission. He tells them to go and to make disciples of all nations. And the first step of discipleship is to do what? Baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and then teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. 
And then we look to and find hope in the fact that Christ is with us always to the end of the age. Jesus gave a clear charge to his church to make disciples. And the first step of discipleship is baptism. It was modeled by Christ himself. He went to John in the, in the wilderness. He was baptized there. John, of course, sees Christ coming, knows who he is, recognizing that he has no need of salvation, or no need of salvation, no need of baptism. He is the Savior. Uh, but yet John baptizes him when Jesus says this is done to fulfill all righteousness. Now we must recognize, just as we remind ourselves every week when we come and observe the second ordinance given to the church, that of communion or the Lord's table, that this is not just a ritual. You know, I, I challenge us every week to recognize that this is not just something we do to go through the motions, and nor does it in any way, shape, or form earn favor before God. But rather, it is the spiritual reality behind what we do, both in our observance of the Lord's table and today as we baptize individuals, that is the point of what we are saying. Baptism is no mere ritual. Rather, it is an outward expression, an outward proclamation of an inward reality. That is why this particular action is so important. But why baptism? Christ could have given any number of actions for us to do uh, to recognize or to publicly confess our statement of faith and, and the reality that we are in Him. Why baptism? And particularly, why immersion? Why do we take somebody and put them under the water and you know, as I, as I told the, uh, uh, I sent an email out to those that were being baptized, uh, 20 or 30 minutes later, I pull them back up. No, it's... Why do we do that? What is the significance of the going down into the water and the coming up out of the water? And again, just as the bread and cup of the communion speak of the physical realities of Christ's suffering to save us from our sins, so the physical actions here speak of spiritual reality. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning in Romans chapter 6, the significance of baptism. So look with me, Romans chapter 6, we're going to be going to reading in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 14. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means may it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin 
For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. There are three things I'd like us to consider this morning. What is the significance of baptism? And as Paul clearly provides for us, there are three things that we see. We see That baptism signifies our union with Christ, it signifies our death to sin, and it signifies our resurrection to new life in Christ. Now, one thing we have to recognize and, and understand is, does baptism itself save us, the actual act? And the answer of Scripture is absolutely not. It is Christ alone who saves So as Paul goes through here and speaks about this baptism and this idea of being united to Christ, the physical act is a sign or a symbol of a spiritual reality. So what is happening today, these who are coming today to be baptized, this does not save you. This action does not save you. Christ saves you. But this action is a message. It is a symbol. It is a proclamation of what Christ is. Has done. And the first thing that it speaks of is it signifies our union with Christ. Notice what we see in verse 3. Paul speaks of the fact that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus. And then he speaks of us being baptized into his death. He speaks particularly in verse 5 of the fact that we are united with him in his death. And so if we're united with him in his death, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Now, again, Paul in verse 3 speaks of us being baptized into Christ. Now, the term baptize, that Greek term baptizo, literally means to immerse in water. Paul's point is that through the act of baptism, What we are showing, and particularly why we immerse, why we put someone all the way in, is because we're showing, we're displaying the fact that that person is fully in Christ, that they are united completely and totally. And now this term, into Christ or in Christ, it's a favorite term of Paul's throughout Scripture, and particularly in the book of Ephesians. 
And I'm just going to go through several different passages to speak of what it means to be in Christ. What does this union, this uniting with Christ, bring about? And the first thing we recognize is that this union is brought about by God's sovereign, eternal choice. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, and then here's that phrase, in Christ, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Christ, in Him, when? Before the foundation of the world, so that we should be holy and blameless before Him. This union that is chosen before the foundation of the world brings about redemption and forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7, In Him, being in Christ, we have redemption through His blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. This union provides for us not just the forgiveness of sins, but on a positive perspective, it provides for us justification, the declaration that we are righteous because we are in Christ Jesus. That we stand before God in Christ just as righteous as Christ is. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake He made Him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that, there's that phrase again, in Him we might become what? The righteousness of God. You understand the the marvelous truth of the gospel that we stand in Christ before God just as righteous as Christ. Philippians chapter 3 verse 9. For our sake... Oh, no, that's the wrong... um, Philippians 3... My PowerPoint skills this week have just been all over the place. Philippians 3 verse 9. Paul says how he suffers the loss of everything for the sake of knowing Christ. And then he says in verse 9, And to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. It's important, as Paul mentioned there, how do we attain to and find this union with Christ? It comes through belief, through faith in Him. Ephesians 1.13, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and what? Believed in Him. We're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 3, 23-25, We know this one, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by what? Faith. This union not only provides us a declaration of righteousness, not only does it bring the forgiveness of our sins, but it removes the wrath of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a wonderful passage. There is 
Not even the smallest speck of a possibility of condemnation in Christ. Will God ever reject His only Son? Then will He ever reject those that are united to His only Son? No, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only does it bring all these glories we've seen, but it brings us into the relational love of God. In John 17, 23, Jesus, as He's facing the cross, prays not for Himself, but prays for His disciples. And He speaks of how He is in His disciples and the Father is in Him that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. This is mind-blowing that those in Christ are loved by the Father in the same way that the Father loves the Son. This salvation, this union is not given to us to just remove our sins, remove their consequences. Not just given to us to make us positively righteous, but it is given to us so that we would live lives of righteousness on this earth. We all know Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But that's not the end of the sentence. Paul says, for we are his workmanship, created what? In Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. And God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You realize that before the foundation of the world, when God chose his people and placed them in Christ, that placing in Christ was not just there to save us from our sins. It was not just there to take away his wrath, but it was also there so that we would walk in good works. Not to earn our salvation, but as a result, as a consequence of our salvation. And this union binds us as God's people together in Christ. The end of Romans, Paul says, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Now these realities, and this is a very quick 30,000 feet flyover of union with Christ is just the smallest little ice cube on the tip of the iceberg of the greatness of what it means to be united with Christ. We could spend multiple Sundays unveiling and seeing the glories of what it means to be united in Christ. But our point here today in what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 6 is that baptism signifies that someone is in Christ Jesus. It is a sign of that union with Him. We must understand that believers are united with Jesus Christ. Apart from this doctrine, 
Apart from understanding that the rest of what Paul is going to say in Romans chapter 6 will make no sense. What do you mean we're, we're, we died with him? What do you mean we, wrote, we will rise with him and we are risen with him? Well, what does that all have to do? It doesn't make sense unless we understand that by faith we are united to Jesus Christ. So that what Christ has done for us, what Christ has accomplished before the Father, is counted to us as righteousness. In many ways, the key to the Christian life is found in understanding and reveling in the fact that we are in Christ Jesus. That our faith places us in union with Him. You know, if we think about what it means to be sanctified or made holy, we often think of that in terms of being made more like Christ. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians, that when we look into the Word of God, we see Christ's glory and we are changed into that same image. How is it that we are able to see and and realize that we become more like Jesus because we're united with Him? And this is why Jesus tells His disciples in John chapter 15 that there there is a... eminently important truth to the Christian life that we must abide what? In me. Abide in Him. And I in you. Then he goes on, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide what? In me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. What do we do with branches that are no longer good? They're gathered together and they're thrown into the fire and what? Burned. If we want to live fruitful lives before the Lord, we must abide in Him. Our union with Christ is the key to understanding how we live lives of righteousness, how we live lives rightly Before him. Now, while baptism signifies this union with Christ, and we've seen so many glories of what that means, Paul specifically points to two things that that union brings about. Two essential aspects that baptism shows us and signifies. And the first we see is that baptism signifies our death to sin. Now notice what he says here. He says, Do you not know that as many of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, this is verse 3, were baptized into His death. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death. Baptism signifies our union with Christ through immersion under the water. As the believer is placed under the water, it buried, if you will, under the water, 
This immersion underwater shows our union with Christ's death. And then in verse 5, he says, We have been united with him in a death like his. Now, what does that mean? What is the significance of the fact that we have died with Christ? And Paul really hashes that out for us in verse 6. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to what? Nothing. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Paul draws the conclusion that in our union with Christ's death, Our old self, our old man is killed. It's crucified with Christ on the cross. Now, what was our old self like? Well, we see this in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. And again, notice the contrast Paul is making. In chapter 1 and chapter 2, he speaks of the glories of being in Christ. But when we are in our trespasses and sins, what does that bring about? The wages of sin is death. And so we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And what does that bring about? Well, we walked in them. We were like the course of this world. We were like this world that follows the prince of the power of the air. We wanted, like the devil, to be autonomous, independent of God. We don't want him to have, apart from Christ, we don't want him to have any claim on our lives. We fight against his reign. We fight against his law. We fight against him completely. And so this following after the prince of the power there, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. What is one way we can tell? whether or not we're living in sin, well, we just decided that we're going to live according to the passions of our flesh. We don't hold back. We're unrestrained. We do whatever we want. If it feels good, we do it. We do this, these desires that are found in our body and in our mind. And as a result of this, we were by our very natures children of what? Wrath. Like the rest of the world that we were following. That's the old man. That's what life is apart from Christ. For those who continue to persist in rejecting Jesus Christ, who continue to go through their lives without depending on Him by faith, that is what it's like. But praise God for those who turn to Christ in faith. That old man is killed on the cross. Crucified with Christ. Just as our deadness in sin makes us dead to God, so Paul argues that as we are crucified with Christ, that old man is now dead to us. It has brought sin, as Paul says there in verse 6, to nothing. So that we would now be freed from sin. 
Notice what he says again in verse sin or verse six, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Such is the wonderful hope of our union with Christ's death. We see later on, in fact, I would suggest for you this afternoon, if you have some time, read verses 15 through 23. And Paul expands on this wonderful hope that we are now free from sin. The point that Paul is making is that before our conversion, apart from our union with Christ by faith, there was only one thing we could do, and that was sin. The best efforts that we could produce in our own effort only brought about more condemnation. It wasn't a dependence upon Christ humbly. It was a prideful proclamation that we can do it. This is why the Reformers spoke so strongly of the necessity of understanding sola, solus Christus, Christ alone. Because it is only Christ who saves. You cannot save yourself. No matter how hard you try, the best of your righteous actions is nothing but a filthy rag before God. You have to be, as Jesus says in, at the end of chapter 5 of Matthew, this great Sermon on the Mount, you have to be perfect. And what is the standard of perfection? God's perfection as your Heavenly Father is perfect. And so, our only hope is found in Christ in union with Him, and particularly in recognizing that as Christ died on the cross, our old man died with Him. Because our former master is dead, we are freed from sin. This is the crux of how Paul begins chapter 6. Look with me again, chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And the answer is, no, by no means. May it never be. Paul uses one of the strongest statements in the Greek language to say, absolutely not. Why? How can we who died to sin now what? Live in it. It's nonsensical. And so how can someone who is dead to sin still live in it? And so verse 11 of chapter 6, Paul says, we must consider ourselves. What is our relationship to sin now? We are dead to sin. Why? Because we are united with Christ's death. as these who are coming here today are going to be immersed in the water, as they are going to be placed under the water, identifying publicly with Christ's death, they are saying that in Christ, they are now dead to sin. Sin no longer reigns in their lives. 
There's such a significance here of what baptism is declaring. Baptism is so much more than just saying, I've accepted Jesus in my heart, and now I have a ticket to heaven in my back pocket. That's so much more, or that's so little of what Paul is truly saying. Through their immersion in water, they are proclaiming their repentance. That they've turned from sin. And that's why Paul says, should we who have been given the grace of God continue in sin? God forbid, may it never be. And so this is so much more than just saying, I've believed in Jesus. This is saying, I'm died with Christ. My old man is is gone and dead, and sin is now dead to me. But again, immersion into water as a sign of death is only one part of baptism. And again, I will not keep them under for 30 to 40 minutes. But they are, as they are identified with Christ's death, they then rise out of the water and are identified with His resurrection. And so baptism signifies our new life in Christ. Look again in verse 4. We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in what? Newness. Newness of life. We see in verses 10 through 11, for the death He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. We have to recognize God's work of redemption is not merely about relieving us of the consequences of our sins. It's not merely about providing us an entrance into heaven. But rather, it is about transforming us to live something completely different, to be new. The old man is dead, and in Christ we are now new creations. Christ's death was a death to sin that was given once for all time, but the life he is currently living, and the way that that's phrased in the original there, is a continual life. That life is lived, and notice what he says, to God. Look at the end of verse 10. The death he died, he sinned, he died for once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So Paul's conclusion then, because we are in Christ, we consider ourselves dead to sin and alive, and notice he uses the same phrase, to God. So that our lives are lived before Him. This changes our standing before the Father. Where before in sin we had no right to come before Him. Now, united with Christ and living in Him through His resurrection, now our lives are lived to God. Everything about us has changed. Before, we lived our lives in sin to ourselves. But in Christ and Raised with Him to new life, we live our lives now towards God. And so that is why Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that we who were dead to sin have been made alive together with Christ. 
And this now brings about peace with God. For now, there's that phrase again, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in the place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us to God in one body through the cross, thereby Killing the hostility. The wonder of this new life in Christ is that now we can come before the Father. He no longer treats us according to our sins. He treats us as He treats His only begotten Son. So when you pray, why does God hear your prayer? Because you're in Christ. When you live your life in, in a way to, to live before Him, how can you do that? Because you're in Christ. And so baptism in the act of being raised out of the water is a sign of this new life. That as they leave this place, and as they walk out of the baptistry, and as they walk out of these doors, they are proclaiming that their course of life has changed. And that they are a new creation. Sin is dead to them. And then we see that death no longer has dominion over us. You know, Christ will never die again. He died once for all time, so that we, united to Him by faith, will never die. Paul brings this up in 1 Corinthians 15. Tells us that death has no victory. Death has no sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is in the law. And what is sin to us? It's nothing. It's dead to us. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death no longer has dominion over Christ. And if we are united to Christ by faith, then what does that mean about death's dominion over us? There is no dominion. We need not fear it. It's a reminder that the life that we have before God now places us on a trajectory of a new way of life, but it is also a reminder to us that as we walk through this life, and if the Lord tarries, we come to that point where we will pass from this life to the next through death. Death cannot hold us. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Why? Because that's where Jesus is. At the Father's right hand. And so death is brought to nothing. It has no power. It has no sting. It has no working in our lives. So that now, 
with death not having any claim over us, Paul concludes 1 Corinthians 15 this way. Therefore, knowing that death has no dominion over us, what should be the conclusion from that? Well, I got my ticket out of death's realm in my pocket? No. Therefore, as a result of what I just said, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. We're called to live new lives. As death has no dominion over us, the conclusion is live your life before the Lord and you will, your labor will not be in vain. That means that even if the world rises up against you, even if they take you and throw you in jail, even if they beat you, even if they kill you, your labor is not in vain. So how should we respond to the significance of baptism? Well, Paul in chapter 6 gives us three, or I'm sorry, four major things to take away from this. And so I'm speaking particularly to those who are being baptized this morning, but also it's a reminder for us who know Christ today that these realities of union with Christ are ours. So we need to be reminded, well, what is the significance of this? And we see the first one in verse 4. If we're buried therefore with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might what? Walk in newness of life. We need to walk according to our new life. The course of our lives is no longer defined by sin. It no longer has a claim over us. It is brought to nothing. Now here's the question for you today. Is sin truly nothing in your life? Or do you find yourself doing the nonsensical thing and going back to that which you are dead to. Paul is saying, walk according to the newness of life you have in Jesus Christ. As these coming today are going to come out of the water, they are committing to live a life publicly, committing to live a life in newness of life before the Father your responsibility as a congregation is to encourage them in that walk. But it also is a reminder to us that we need to be walking in newness of life. Killing sin and living to God in Christ Jesus. Secondly, we're to fight sin's reign. Look at what he says in verse 12. Fight sin's reign. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You know, there's a story in Genesis about one that's well known about Cain and Abel. Abel comes and brings a sacrifice before the Lord, and God has regard for Abel's sacrifice, but for Cain's sacrifice, he does not have regard. And Cain is downtrodden and, and he, he goes to the, 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 God comes to him and says, 
look, what are you doing? Why is your face fallen? Then he reminds them, he says, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, then this is the point. Sin is crouching at the door. And what is sin's desire? It's contrary to you. It wants to rule over you. But what does God challenge Cain with? You must what? Rule over it. And that is what Paul is saying. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. You don't have to obey its passions. Fight that reign. Are you fighting the reign of sin in your life? And as those who are coming for baptism today recognize that this life is not going to be, oh, I'm free from sin and now there's no temptation. There's all sorts of temptations. They're coming at faster speeds in this day and age. You're living in a world filled with technology that provides all level of temptation against you. And Paul is saying, look back to this day. Remember your union with Christ. Remember that sin is not your king. Christ is. And fight it. By God's grace, fight against sin. And then, thirdly, live as an instrument of righteousness. Live as an instrument of righteousness. Notice what he says In verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God. Why can we present ourselves to God? Because Christ lives, what? To God. And so by virtue of that union with Christ, that baptism is signifying, you now live a life before the Father. You live a life of righteousness. And so, as these come out of the water, they are saying that my life is now fully lived before God the Father, that I am His. And my life will be lived to show that righteousness at work within me. And then finally, and I'm sorry the slides are all messed up again. Finally, that says, says, depend on God's grace. Look at verse 14. Sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Since you are not under law, but under what? Grace. Depend on God's grace. You have to recognize today that your life before the Lord is not a result of anything good within you. It's all a result of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And Christ comes into your life solely and completely by the grace of God. You know, people have abused this doctrine of grace to give permission to sin. To say that, well, everything is based on God's grace, so... You know, I should just, my sin isn't that big of a deal, right? It's all paid by the blood of Christ. Your sin is a big deal because it shows that you are not living according to your supposed identification with Christ. 
Grace does not give you a blanket check to sin. Grace gives you the power to live a righteous life. And this is what baptism is signifying today. So for those coming today to be baptized, this act of immersion in water and bringing out, being brought out of this water, it now clarifies the order and conduct of your life from now on. Today you're publicly professing your faith in Christ, your union with His death and resurrection. You're publicly declaring that you are no longer going to let sin have dominion over you. And you're going to live a life of righteousness before the Lord. That's one of the joys of baptism. And that's why it's done publicly before the congregation. Because you need the encouragement of your brothers and sisters. It's a call to arms. To war against sin. And so seek help as you grow as a disciple. That is why Jesus said in the Great Commission, as we're making disciples, the first thing we do is baptize them. And then teach them to observe those things. And if you're here today and you're not coming to be baptized, which is the majority of you, but you're here witnessing this, And you've never trusted Christ. The gospel is a message of hope for you. Turn to Jesus alone. Be united to Him by faith. Repent from your sin. Come to Christ. Jesus promises that all those who come to Him, He will in no wise cast out. You can know this same transformation that these that are coming here today are publicly professing. And if we know the Lord and you're here today and you are firmly in Him, it's a reminder of what it means to truly be a Christian. That united to Christ, sin is dead to you. You must consider it dead to you. And you're called to live a life of righteousness before Him. And perhaps you're here today and you've never followed the Lord's example in believer's baptism. This is a great opportunity to be encouraged to do so. Pull me aside. I'll be happy to talk with you. We can leave the water in for another week. (laughs) Baptism is a wonderful sign of what it means to be in Christ Jesus. It's a wonderful expression of faith and of the transformed life that we have, dead to sin, living to Christ. May that be the testimony of everyone here today, that in Christ you have hope, you have transformation before Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and the truth we find in it. And Father, we ask today that You would Work in our hearts by your Spirit. Lord, change us, mold us, shape us more into the image of Jesus Christ. Father, may we be encouraged by the testimony given today of these 
that are coming for baptism. Father, work in our midst by your Spirit. We pray all this in Christ's name.